Hi, and welcome to Organizing Life's Daily Demands. Uh, my name is Peter Gordon. I'm the president of New York Financial Organizers, and we're daily money managers. We help people pay their bills, deal with uh, insurance claims, and take care of all the non-investment side of personal finances. And uh, the purpose of this podcast is to introduce uh, the viewers and listeners to other professionals who help people organize their lives, the daily demands of their lives. And today I'm thrilled to have Sheila Warnock of uh, Share the Care. And uh, hi, Sheila, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. Thanks, welcome to your um, to, to, the, to our podcast. Uh, Sheila and I met at this wonderful networking event. Um, I do a fair amount of networking to meet other professionals who might be able to help my clients. And I immediately was drawn to the work she does. Um, so what better way to start by you telling us a little bit about Share the Care? Well, Share the Care is a caregiving model and it fits beautifully into your format here, organizing life's daily demands because it's Share the care, how to organize a group to care for someone who's seriously ill. Um, now, this was created a long time ago, but it has since evolved into more than taking care of people who are seriously ill, but also anybody who needs support, whether it has to do with aging or uh, another circumstance in their life that isn't one that has to do with medical issues. But it helps people who are dealing with all kinds of crises to avoid isolation and depression by having a real support family. It's called the caregiving family. And all, all of this evolved out of uh, personal experience. Um, for me, caregiving started in the 80s when there was nothing to help caregivers, if you can imagine or if you remember. There were no books. There were We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have, uh, you know, email. Uh, there were no organizations or if some of the big organizations were just beginning to start around the same time as the work I was doing. Um but I took care of my mother by myself for four years, and she lived five and a half hours away. So I have experienced wow. what it feels like to be a solitary caregiver for somebody. It was started off for four years. I absolutely uh, I had to quit my job. Um, my mother was far away. I had to learn how to drive so I could, you know, be able to transport her around when I went up to see her. Um, and I was in a bubble. I lived my life in a bubble that all I did was, you know, find solutions to issues that she was having or learn how to deal with whatever, just learning how to be a caregiver on my own. And that's one of the, the things that, that makes me crazy is that nobody teaches us how to be a caregiver. So anyway, long story short, at the same time I'm trying to help my mother, I my best friend developed cancer 
uh, of the parotid gland, which started with a lump behind her ears. It turned to bone cancer. So during the same four years I'm taking care of my mother, my friend is going through this horrible experience of the cancer starting behind her ear. Then it moved to her shoulder and her arm and so on. All of her friends knew about the first bout with her cancer, but they didn't know that it kept coming back over the four years. And I was sworn to secrecy. Susan said, you cannot tell anybody. And that's very common among people who really could use the support is that they keep it a secret. So this model is all about bringing that secret forward and turning it into Action. I love that. I love that. So at the four-year mark, my mother really needed much more care than I could give her, even with the help of some nurses' aides, which were becoming uh, so costly we couldn't keep doing that. And so I was also at a point where I was ready to have a breakdown. In fact, it took an outside voice to crack the bubble I was in of this caregiving world. And none of my friends understood what was going on with me because they hadn't had this experience yet. But it was a nurse's aide who just said, you know, your mother can't be alone anymore. And this bubble cracked open and I was able to move forward because I knew that that was true. But I guess I needed the reinforcement of somebody else saying it, something simple as just saying the words. So I had to resort to a nursing home for my mom, and that could be another whole book. And my friend Susan reached a crisis, and it was actually her therapist who convinced her to call up her friends and ask them to come to a meeting so we could figure out how to help her. She was terrified because she was going into the hospital to have um, an MRI to see if the cancer had moved to her spine. And she was terrified that she wouldn't be able to walk or go to work. Plus, she was divorced and had two young daughters. So, And and this was and the cancer was progressing all this time. No, yes. It had turned into bone cancer. She was given a prognosis of eight years, four years previously. So really, she. I guess, you know, four more years, maybe, if she's lucky. So anyway, Share the Care grew out of what happened during this crisis and what happened in Dr. Miller's office one night. March. Where where was this? It was here in New York City. So, um, you know, New York City is a real mix of people, but all of us showed up. Now, I knew what was going on. So I walked in this room and there were all these other women, happened to be all women. And That's not unusual. I felt this, oh my God, thank God there's other people involved because I had been working so, so much on my own because my father was deceased. My brother lived in Japan. So my whole caregiving effort was totally on me. My co-author, Cappy Capicella, arrived at this meeting 
And she said she was absolutely terrified because she had never taken care of anyone or anything in her whole life. And she just wanted to run for the hills. Now, all the other women had, we didn't know each other. That was the other thing. I knew Cappy and I knew one other woman besides Susan. The others were total strangers to me. They were from Susan's office. They were neighbors, other moms, uh, a client. Um, one of them was a vendor that she worked with. But we all knew her and we all were concerned. About how did they come? To, how did you bring them together? Or how were they brought together? Especially Dr. since Miller, you didn't want anybody to know. Dr. Miller broke through to Susan. Susan was Got seeing it. Dr. Miller. She, she, she was the one that broke through. And, right. and God heard us call up 15 people and 12 of us showed up the next night. Wow. And was this the something that Dr. Miller did on for many clients or many patients? Well, yes, she, Dr. Miller worked with a lot of people who were terminally ill. Uh, various, I mean, she had quite Was a she an oncologist? I'm sorry? Was she an oncologist? No, she was a therapist. Got it. So, um, but she was very, you know, she knew that she had to break through to Susan. So finally, Susan asked people to come to this meeting and people showed up. They didn't know what was going on. So the first thing Dr. Miller said was, Susan, please tell your friends what's going on with you. So Susan did. She talked about the additional surgery she had. She talked about how frightened she was about what could be. And she cried. And then we cried. <laughs> and we decided we had to roll up our sleeves and get to work here and figure something out. And it was actually that night that we came up with one of the key systems for Share the Care. We didn't know we were coming up with something that was going to turn into a model. But we, because we all had different kinds of responsibilities, different kinds of jobs. So we decided that there were 12 of us, not including Susan. And we should work in teams of two. We would call ourselves captains of the week. And the job of the captains of the week was to go to Susan, find out what she needed for the coming week, and then call everyone, because we all we had was telephones, call everyone, get the jobs filled, give Susan the schedule of who was coming when, to do what, for how long, so she could relax. Now, we had two people on a team because if something came up in the life of one of us, there was always another captain to keep the ball rolling. But the other big thing this did for Susan was it took away the need for her to ask for help. Right. She hated to ask for help because she was a very strong personality. But this made it easy because we went to her every week. And the following week, a fresh team would rotate in. And this became the backbone of what Share the Care is about, and that is about sharing responsibilities, sharing decision-making, sharing the, you know, the effort it takes for doing that for one week at a time. 
there were 12 of us. So we were captains once every six weeks. And that's manageable. Which is very manageable. Right. I was going to say it's easy. Relatively. Yeah. When you're organized, everything is manageable, (laughs) as you well know. (laughs) Um, So we started in the very next day. And I remember I was paired up as one of the first captains with somebody from Susan's office. Her name was Myrna. I had never met Myrna before. But after that night, the previous evening, I felt like I knew her for like years. It was such a reality-based meeting and, and conversation that we started in the next morning as the first captains and we talked as if we had known each other forever. And we started into being in a lifeboat, you know, and like there's a shipwreck and people are ending up in a lifeboat and you're safe, you say you need to save each other's lives and you, yes. you know, bear your souls. So. so starting the next day, we did everything under the sun, the moon and the stars to help her. We took her to doctor's appointments. We took notes. We kept track of her medications. We we had birthday parties at her house so she could be at them. We took her to the Bahamas for an alternative cancer treatment she wanted to try that didn't really work. And like one person from the group would go down to the Bahamas and spend a week with her and come back. And it was like ships in the night. It didn't work. So um, we kept going and we became widely known and I've lost you. I'm here. Can you see me? Yes. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Just, Just keep going. Okay. We became widely known as Susan's Funny Family, uh, <laughs> a tag that stuck with us for quite some time, at least in the beginning. And um, probably our greatest moment of helping her was just before she died, maybe about four months before Susan passed away. So this is like another four years later. Um, We organized her youngest daughter's wedding. Her youngest daughter wanted to get married, and she was talking about getting married the following year. But we could see Susan deteriorating day by day. So we convinced her maybe she ought to move it up. So she graduated from college one day, came back to New York, and got married the next day. It was at Tavern on the Green. Nice. And we did everything that Susan wanted the way Susan wanted it. And that was very important because she was very, you know, precise and critical about how it should be. And we fulfilled her every wish because... The bride at at the event thanked her parents for this beautiful wedding and thanked all her other moms for making it possible. We were family. We were Susan's funny family. So this this transition to this business model, I imagine. Yes, well, that came a little bit later. Not that much later, but... You know, we had a closing meeting. We talked about what we had done. And, you know, we didn't even realize the impact of what we had done. 
quite honestly, until I was working with Cappy. We, we worked together in advertising. And the phone rang and we picked it up and this woman said, you don't know me. But I met Susan at cancer care at the support group meetings. And she used to talk about her funny family all the time. Wow. And she said, I'm, I'm like Susan. I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm about to have a bone marrow transplant. I only have an elderly mother and a young daughter, and they can't take care of me after that. But I do have 20 friends that want to help. Do you think I could have a funny family? <laughs> so I remember Cappy and I looking at each other like, oh, my gosh. Um, so we pulled together our team to meet with her 20 friends. And this 20 friends included men. So mm. I will never forget going to this meeting and being there when these people arrived because it was like deja vu. They looked like we did when we arrived at the first meeting. There were people who were skeptical. There were people who were frightened. There were others who were like, what's going on? You know, they were the same as we had been. So we followed the format that Dr. Miller had instigated. And we asked Francine to tell her friends what was really going on. And she did. And it was very similar to what happened with Susan's meeting. But what I noticed was, as we explained to them how we had worked in teams, how we had rotated responsibilities, we showed them the forms we had created to make things easier, and also what we gained personally out of helping Susan. This was a question that Dr. Miller asked us at Susan's meeting. And I remember thinking, I didn't come here to get something. I came here to help my friend. I couldn't understand the question. But afterwards, I sure learned what I gained out of helping Susan. Susan, I remember Dr. Miller saying, just say something, and you'll find out what it is later. What a wonderful doctor. Oh, she was fabulous. She wrote the foreword to the book, and she wrote several other books. She's unfortunately deceased now, but... Oh, she's amazing. Um, so I remember saying that I was so grateful that I had learned how to be a better caregiver because I had been a solitary caregiver for so long. I didn't know what it was like to have help, to have other people involved. That's so right. I learned how to be a better caregiver. And I was a better caregiver because I wasn't burned out all the time. Sure. So sure. that was eye-opening. Other people had other things. Cappy talked about the fact that she actually saved her mother's life when she was having these little mini strokes and got her to the hospital right away. So she was diagnosed and put on medication. And she was very proud of that because she had been so terrified of doctors and hospitals. Of and another woman shared that she had always wanted to have children, but she couldn't have them. And her husband didn't want to adopt. So she said, I had all of this nurturing inside of me that had nowhere to go. So I used it 
in my caregiving for Susan. Everybody got. So then we saw her 20 friends, Francine's 20 friends, begin to relax. You could see them thinking like, oh, that's what they did. We can do that. That's not hard. Let's get going. we got to have our own meeting. So they left that night with such excitement about having a plan to follow. And the room was just covered in love that night. So it was amazing. And they did form a group. They took care of Francine for quite a number of years. The bone marrow transplant and subsequent treatments that they did fundraising for, she she kept going for at least another eight years. So wow, that's beautiful, amazing. So the next morning, I called up Cappy. I said, Cappy, did you see what happened last night? We have to put this down on paper so nobody has to reinvent the wheel. This was amazing. They were transformed. They were so excited to have a plan. So thus, we wrote Share the Care, How to Organize a Group to Care for Someone Seriously Ill. And it was published by Simon & Schuster in 1995. And there was nothing like it. It was like the first thing out there that was really for caregivers. You know, I I believe Rosalind Carter's book came out about two or three months ahead of ours, but it was a different, you know, a different kind of book that, it was wonderful that made you realize we're all going to be touched by caregiving. But ours was the, probably the first that ever provided any information about what to do, especially for friends. Because when somebody gets ill or has a crisis or needs help, what usually happens is people come by and they say, oh, let me know if you need anything or Call me if I can help. Yeah, yeah. And they leave, and the caregiver or the person needing the yeah, care no structure to it. does nothing because they don't want to impose on anybody. I could never, I could never pay back if somebody helped me. I, I, I can't do that. There's big, big walls going up. Right. Meanwhile, the people that want to help have no idea what to do or how to do it. So how do how do people utilize this quote unquote system? Or tell tell me about how it works at this point in time. Well, the the book is not just telling you the story. I mean, it's personal in the beginning, but the the group can be organized by two friends. Not a job for the caregiver, not a job for the person needing the assistance because they have enough on their plate to deal with. But two friends who really care about these people can pick up the Share the Care book because the first nine chapters are written to these two friends, giving them detail by detail how to work with the family or the person to figure out who to invite to a meeting and what kind of help do you need right now so that you know they can get the ball rolling there are a couple of forms that are used in the meeting that list the kinds of jobs that are needed right away 
and people get to rate themselves on the jobs so that in the beginning, because a group of people don't necessarily know one another, they um, can figure out who to call because they'll get a copy of what people think they're really good at. And that's the point. People only have to do jobs they feel confident about doing. Nobody so it, doesn't have, it doesn't necessarily have to start with a group of people. You need a like, well, uh, is it, is it a two people, four people, or does it not well, matter? Well, you start with what you can get, okay? Exactly. Uh, exactly. Especially in the instances where somebody has dementia or Alzheimer's disease, we've developed a protocol for how groups can work, and that would be a small contingent of people who come into the home, who know the, the person needing the care, and who are not frightened of, you know, what's going to happen, but they, and we certainly encourage the people who are involved with uh, caring for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's to get uh, some education from the Alzheimer's Foundation or, you know, whatever organization specializes in that so they can learn some of the things they could do, should do, can't do, you know, because everybody's unique. It's not cookie cutter. Oh, no. And well, one of the things is that in, 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 in the U.S. culture is that, you know, things are not centralized. We're a, a democracy and, uh, you know, it's uh, everybody's supposed to pull up their boat, you know, their, do everything by pulling up their bootstraps and, so there's a lot of stuff out there, but the people don't know where it is. And we hear this yes. all the time. Wow, I can't believe you exist. I mean, it's 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 sad. And that's, that's a job that one person could do is doing all the research and calling and getting things organized. Yeah. Right. So this is wonderful. I know from as far as I'm concerned, and I deal with people all the time who are in a situation. So this is a blueprint for how they might, one of the ways they might be able to help themselves. Yes. Really so as I was saying about a small group for people with that issue, they could also have other people, an outer group doing things like bringing meals or shopping or, you know, dropping things oh, off. Yeah. But yeah. Also because the person uh, dealing with those issues um, needs to have structure, needs to have everything, you know, a certain way, and they would be frightened or distracted or, you know, so they had 20 me, people coming in. So what's, what's your role at this point? Well, this is what happened. So we wrote the book in 95, uh, and then... I was continuing in advertising, working with Cappy. We used to do fragrance advertising, believe it or not. So we I believe it. Actually, uh, actually, I was in that world a little bit myself. Ah, I had so a graphic design firm, and we did a great deal of work for um, Clarence Cosmetics and Estee Lauder. Yeah, yes. uh, not really advertising, more presentation and promotion. Yeah, it was fun. It's like we could take all of our romantic fantasies and turn them into a commercial. <laughs> You know, so that was pretty good. But in 2002, this was a turning point. Um, Cappy's dad, who was 86, was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. 
he was he was always in good shape. He was totally with it. He was very active. No rhyme or reason. And she was, you know, going crazy. She was trying to find the best doctors in New York. And so she went up to visit her parents because they lived up in Westchester. And I called up there to see how things were going. And her mother was on the phone. She said, I can't talk. I can't talk. We're taking Cappy to the hospital. And I thought, what's going on? Next thing I know, Cappy is diagnosed with a glioblastoma grade four. Two weeks after her father. Wow. This was shocking to say the least, because Cappy was very, she was like her father. She was energetic. She was outgoing. She was wonderful, speaker, creative. So I organized a group for Cappy and she wanted one because she knew, you know, she better have support. She's going to need it. So there were 33 of us who came to that meeting. And we even had some people that she knew in on the coast who flew in um, for the meeting or flew in to help out occasionally, that sort of thing. Yeah, because she gave a lot of love, so she got a lot of love in return. And we needed 33 because Cappy opted for brain surgery. Her father had radiation or chemo. I, I'm not sure which because he was being taken care of by the fat family. Um, and in New York, Cappy's friends were taking care of her. She lived alone. So uh, we rallied. And she opted for brain surgery that that eventually over the next, you know, it was 10 months her illness lasted. She'd lost her ability to speak, to write, to walk, or at the end, even move her body. We had nurses aides. We had a live-in nurses aide who was marvelous. She was she was actually a nurse in Zimbabwe, but she was here in the U.S. and she was studying to take the exam so she could work as an RN here in the U.S., which she did. So I, I guess my what I, I'd like to focus on: how, how does somebody avail themselves of share the care? Okay, I mean, so, there's obviously a book and there's a website, but what's the best way to for people? Um, to discover it and then utilize it. Okay. I just want to mention that after Cappy and her father, they both passed away within 12 hours of one another. That's what led me to decide to start an organization to get Share the Care out to a much wider audience, even though it had been used in you know places all over the world. So when I started, I... I opted to try to do presentations at the local Y or whatever. I did that a couple of times and like three people showed up. So I decided that's not the route. And I developed a curriculum to teach health professionals because I thought that's the best way to reach caregivers who are too exhausted to go to a meeting or listen to me talk or whatever. But if they could explain it in depth, and encourage people to get help, it could really make a difference. And that's primarily where I put a lot of my energy was reaching professionals so I could reach caregivers. And then I updated the book in 2004 and added 50 more pages to it. Um, 
Right now, my goal is to do a third edition because I have a lot of new information and protocols for particular kinds of groups, like I mentioned, for dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, and there's been a lot of, there's been a study about share the care, so it's become evidence-informed. Um, it does make a huge difference, not only to the person needing the care and the caregiver, but also to each and every person involved in the group. I'm telling you, it is a life-changing experience. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I totally get it. And uh, um, I know that when you stop thinking of yourself and you start helping others, there's huge growth involved. Yes, and, yes. And, and that's one of the, the you know, uh, unexpected side effects, I guess, from uh, the formation of these groups. Oh. So, um, so how do they find this? Well, yeah, our website how, right. is um, sharethecare.org. Uh, there are links to purchase the book if you can't get it at your local store. Um, you know, from Amazon, from, you sure. know, Simon & Schuster, wherever. Uh, there's also a great deal of information and also all of the forms. There are, I wanted to mention one other thing. All of the forms that we developed are in on the website and can be downloaded for use. Right. By and the what we're going to do is we're going to put a link to all of those in the, the important in, in the, you know, on the video text, the, the video area, as well as the podcast area. So people have that. Okay. There, there is um, the reason that you need the book for those two people to organize the first meeting, but it is also entirely scripted. They Excellent. have directions for how to have the meeting is split between the two people. And um, they don't have to think of anything or make up anything. It is all written there for them. There are even suggestions about what to do if somebody sort of takes the meeting off course, how to get, get it back on course without, you know, hurting anyone's feelings. And the, the other thing that I, I will do is that I, I will, there, are, there are a lot of organizations that are looking for speakers, you know, like yourself. And that have this very valuable information. So I'm happy to introduce you to that. Right. To, to some Thank of you. Yeah. And um, th that would be great. And if people want to reach you, yes. what's the best way? And actually, the the video is has uh, has frozen. It's not the end of the world by any stretch. Um, but so we'll put that information. But tell us uh, verbally how. What's the best way to reach you? S. Warnock, S like Sheila, W-A-R-N-O-C-K at share, S-H-A-R-E, the care, C-A-R-E dot org. Excellent. And, um, and certainly if anybody has questions, you can also contact me. Um, uh, you know, there's no accident that I met Sheila. You know, we just took a while for us to connect, and it's ironic that it's the first time connecting really on this um, on this podcast slash video cast. And uh, we'll be talking more. And uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to 
to uh, helping others meet you in this wonderful, wonderful program. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Sheila. Well, and everybody out there, please um, be safe, work together, and uh, figure out how to share the care. I, I'm really thrilled to have uh, this opportunity to, to talk to Sheila and, uh, and pass on this wonderful information. And I'll see you for the next video cast and hear you or you'll hear me at the next podcast. Take care.